Well, good morning and welcome to Promise Church today. Uh, we're so glad you've chosen to join us, uh, even though it's a, a format that's a little bit different, even though we're uh, we're gathering together digitally today instead of uh, in person. Uh, we hope that soon we'll be able to, to rejoin in person and that when, uh, when we do that, you'll be able to join us. Maybe this is your first time joining with us. Maybe you're checking us out for the first time. Uh, we just want to let you know you're welcome here and we will, we'd love to see you when, uh, when we're able to rejoin uh, with each other in person. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to jump right in today. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about, uh, talking about God's kingdom, how God is inviting us into his kingdom, uh, how he's inviting us into a dance that's been going on since before time began. Uh, it's the dance that we were created for, that we were created to be a part of. And uh, so we've been talking about that for the past couple of weeks and what that looks like. And um, and as we've been talking about this, we've been talking about the gospel, the good news. And originally what that term meant was uh, that it was the, the good news that Caesar had, uh, had come and had conquered more land and they were returning triumphant. Uh, but what, the, what ended up happening is that the early church uh, kind of co-opted that term and said, no, it's not Caesar that's the king, it's Jesus who is the king. Uh, and so we've talked about that over the, the past couple of weeks. And, uh, and if you've missed anything and you want to go back and catch up, you can always go back uh, on our YouTube page for the past couple of weeks and see what was going on there. Uh, we also podcast our sermons, so feel free to catch up there as well. So the good news, uh, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is inviting us back into the dance that we were created uh, to be part of. And he is making the way possible for us to do that. It's, it's, he, it's God that has come to us to make that way possible. It's not something that we have to go and do and, uh, and do all the things to, to make things right. And we're going to cover that a little bit more this morning. Uh, so this morning we're talking about, it's Easter Sunday. We're, we're celebrating uh, what God has done for us. And so this morning I'm going to read uh, part of that story from Mark. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's three chapters worth of stuff. So we're going to kind of uh, skip over well, most of it actually, but we're going to, we're going to catch, uh, we're going to start at Mark 15 uh, verse 33. But before we do that, I'm just going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is still speaking to us today, that through this, uh, through the words that are, have been written down by people thousands of years ago, that we can get to know you, that we can, in every page, see your heart, see your presence. And, and so God, as we, uh, as we dive into the word today, let, uh, let us be able to, to see you clearly, to understand what you want us to understand, to, to know what you want us to know, and God, that we would meet you in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about this. And so, like I said, Mark 15, 33 through 41. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. 
And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him around and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, it's Easter Sunday. Aren't you supposed to read the part about the resurrection? Don't worry, we're going to get there. First, we need to talk about Jesus' sacrifice. And in this story, we see that Jesus comes not just as a sacrifice, but as a willing sacrifice. Uh, Mark 10, 45, uh, Jesus says that he came to be a ransom for many. And that word ransom, it's the, the Greek word lutron. And what it means is to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner. And this isn't something that's just, you know, a, a couple bucks, you know, maybe, you know, a few thousand. This is something that is a huge cost. Jesus tells this story, and we actually just talked about it a couple of weeks ago uh, at our forum. We talked about uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And, and this guy owes his master 10,000 talents, and that's 20 years wages. So this is not just, uh, not just a small thing. And even in this case, in the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, it's not even the, the cost of, of a life. Like, it's not even possible to really put a monetary cost on somebody's life. But, but this is the kind of thing that, that Jesus is coming he's, he's, and he's saying that he came to do is he came to pay that ransom. He came to pay the cost for our lives. And he, he does this willingly. He doesn't do it because somebody's forcing him to or, or because, uh, because, because it's, you know, the right thing to do. He does it out of love, love for us. Uh, we've been talking throughout this, this series about uh, this book, Jesus the King, uh, written by Timothy Keller. And in it, he said, Jesus didn't have to die despite God's love. He had to die because of God's love. And it had to be this way because all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Now, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. The first one is marriage. When you meet that special someone, when you uh, choose to, to every day uh, love the, the, this one person, uh, it's a sacrifice sometimes. We choose to lay down ourselves for the sake of the other person. Uh, a husband lays down his life for his wife and a wife lays down her life for her husband. It's this mutual sacrifice. Uh, in all healthy marriages, there is... Uh, each person will, uh, will sacrifice their time and their resources for the betterment of the other person in that relationship. And then another example, when kids come into the picture, uh, parents will do anything for their kids. Uh, you know, there's even just the monetary costs. You know, there's the diapers, 
the education, all of these things, right up until, you know, the, the kid turns 18 or and goes off to college or, or you know, who knows, sometimes even longer. Uh, but whatever it is, parents cover so many costs for their children. And, and even to the point where uh, it's not uncommon to, say, to see parents that say, I would die for my kids. And then we see parents actually doing that where you see selfless acts of, of sacrificial love where uh, maybe a, a child is in a dangerous situation and the parent goes in to pull them out of it. They put their own life at risk for the sake of their kids. And that's what, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's doing this self-sacrificing act for the sake of us because he loves us. Uh, And Tim Keller also says this, he says, we know that anybody who has ever done anything that made a difference for us, a parent, a teacher, a mentor, a friend, a spouse, sacrificed in some way, stepped in and accepted some hardship so that we would not get hit with it ourselves. And it's this beautiful picture of somebody shielding uh, another person by, by taking on uh, the offense themselves or by taking on the pain or the sacrifice themselves that somebody else doesn't have to. So when we, when we think about this dance, when we think about all of the things that, that have happened where God, inv- God created us to be part of this dance, but we've chosen to, to step outside of it, we have, in that way, we have wronged God. And we as humans understand that, uh, that, that evil exists in the world, but you can't just overlook it. And, and when something is, is not right, when there's been an injustice done to somebody, there, there's this cost that, that needs to be paid. And there are some beautiful examples where somebody who has been wronged chooses to forgive. Uh, I, I think back to a couple of years ago where... Uh, we heard this story in the news of uh, this young man named Dylan Roof, who was a white supremacist, and he walked into an African-American church in in Charleston and uh, sat through a prayer meeting. And and when when everybody began to pray, he pulled out a gun and opened fire and killed nine people. And and in his trial, there was this beautiful set uh, set of moments where person after person talked to him and said, you killed somebody I love. You took something from us, but I forgive you. But at the same time, we also recognize that in that trial, there was restitution to be made. He's now serving multiple life sentences for, for the things that he did. And there's still this restitution. There's still a required payment. And we've understood this. It's an innate thing within us that we have this sense of justice built in. Even, uh, even in our, uh, our ancient myths, uh, we see this. You know, there's, there's no rain and our crops are dying. So therefore the gods must be angry and we have to appease them. Well, how do you do that? I don't know. Throw a virgin in a volcano. See if that works. So... Uh, all through time, we've seen that we know that there's this cost that has to be paid when something has been, when somebody has been wronged. So who do we owe this debt to? Who's the one that's been wronged in this situation? It's God. And, and, and God is angry. But 
it's not the kind of angry that sometimes we think of that, you know, God is just waiting to, to smite us for the things that we've done wrong. No, God's not angry at us. He's angry at the injustice and the evil in the world. Think about a time that maybe you've experienced that where somebody's done something to somebody that you love. How that made you feel, how angry you were at the person or the situation that that caused pain to somebody that you love. You're not angry at your loved one. You're angry at that situation or that person who did something to them. And it's the same way with God and us. He's not angry at us. He's angry at the injustice and the evil in the world that pulled us away from him, that pulled us out of that dance. God's angry at sin because he loves you. So Jesus comes and Jesus acts in willing obedience, in willing submission. And he goes to the cross for us. But before he does, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's pouring out his heart to God. And he's saying, God, if there is any way that you can take this cup from me, let it be so. And uh, the, this, the cup is this metaphor for God's wrath. It's uh, this idea that we see throughout scripture that, that the cup represents God, God's anger. And Jesus is saying, if there's any way to take this from me, please. But he submits his own desire to not go through the pain and suffering that he knows he's about to because he knows that there is no other way than to willingly take on that anger, to willingly take on God's anger at the the evil and the injustice in the world on our behalf. And he does it all out of love. And and this is love that is greater than than any love that we can possibly know in uh, in our earthly relationships. No marriage, no parenting relationship, uh, nothing in this world compares to the amount of love that God has for us and is waiting to pour out on us. And so Jesus goes to the cross for us. He goes and he willingly dies for us. He gets what we deserve so that we can get what he deserves. He takes that on for us. Now, in this story, we see that that darkness falls over the face of the earth. And it happens between the sixth and the ninth hour, which is, for us, the equivalent of noon to three. And so this is three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. And and people have tried to explain this. uh, People have said, oh, maybe it was a solar eclipse. But... This, a solar eclipse, the, the amount of total darkness that you experience only pa- happens for a few minutes, even in a complete solar eclipse. It, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't last for three hours. What this is, is this is a supernatural darkness. And it represents judgment. We see uh, there's another time in the Bible that this happens. It's the ninth plague uh, when, the, uh, when the Israelites are rescued from Egypt. The, the, that darkness falls over, over the land of Egypt for, for a period of time. And it's this supernatural darkness. And, and Jesus takes on that judgment. He takes on that payment for us. 
And so Jesus, in this, in this moment, in this darkness, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can only imagine the amount of pain that he's experiencing here. You see, when, when you're in a, a relationship with, with anybody, whether it's uh, a family member, whether it's a friend, if something happens that, that causes that relationship to end, whether it's, uh, whether it's, it's something that, that just causes the breakdown of the relationship or whether it's that somebody dies, the, the longer the love that you have shared together, the more painful that loss is. And so Jesus, in this moment, he's saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is losing the love that he has shared with God the Father since the beginning of time, since before time began. He's been experiencing infinite love since the beginning of time, and now he's losing that, and the pain of that is falling all on his shoulders. He's been in perfect love with the Father, and now he's being cut off from that love. The judgment that should have fallen on us falls on Jesus instead. And Jesus is taken out of the dance. Out of infinite love for you, Jesus willingly loses the infinite love of God so that you can have it. And so Jesus experiences this this separation and it happens in this moment of darkness, physical darkness. But we experience the same thing, that when we are separated from God, when we have this spiritual darkness, it becomes all-consuming. When we head into the, the, the darkness, into the evil and the injustice in the world, we move further from the light. We move further from God and we, we become lost and isolated. And that happens when we decide to orient our lives around anything except God. And, and most of the time that's when we choose to, to make ourselves the, the center of our own universe. When we choose to become the thing that everything else orbits around. When we become a self-centered static being that demands that the world revolves around us. And so Jesus, he, he heads into this darkness. He heads, willingly enters the darkness that our lives are headed for. And he willingly takes our place as a loving sacrifice to bring us back to the light, to bring us back into the dance. But it's not the end of the story. Mark 16, we see this happen. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. 
There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. Uh, I've talked a bit in this series already about how Mark is a very concise writer. He, uh, he's very choice with his words and he doesn't waste words. But in three different occasions in this gospel, uh, in his writings, we see the stories of, of Jesus saying, I am going to die and in three days I will rise again. Three different times he, he goes into detail about how this is going to happen. And so this is something that Mark has been building to. He, he says, Jesus, Jesus himself says, this is what's going to happen. And so when it happens, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be uh, caught off guard that this is what happened. Because Jesus already told us this is what's going to happen. And so Jesus, uh, Tim Keller says this, Jesus had risen just as he told him he would. After a criminal does his time in jail and fully satisfies the sentence, the law has no more claim on him, and he walks out free. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sins. That was an infinite sentence, but he must have satisfied it fully, because on Easter Sunday, he walked out free. The resurrection was God's way of stamping, paid in full, right across history, so that nobody could miss it. He walks out free. The sentence has been paid. I I recently saw a news story about uh, a court battle that's happening uh, because there's a prisoner who was serving a life sentence and he he fell ill in the prison and he actually went into cardiac arrest while he was in the infirmary. And uh, he actually, for a few moments, was, was medically dead. And uh, he was actually then brought back and saved by one of the medics that was there. And he's now arguing that he was serving a life sentence and he died. So his sentence is paid and he's arguing, he's trying to get out of jail. And it's, it's kind of a, a funny story, but it, it illustrates what Jesus did. He paid the sentence. He paid it in full. We no longer have that debt that needs to be paid because God in in Jesus came and paid it for us so that we could be made right again. And that's the good news. The debt is paid. The gap between God and us is closed. Jesus has made it possible to re-enter the dance. And he has entered the darkness to bring us back into the light. And, And this isn't just a fleeting thing. This isn't something simple. Like this isn't just, you know, about, oh, you know, when I die, I get to go to heaven and sit on a cloud and play a harp. It's, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than our cultural idea of what heaven is. It's about being pulled into the dance of infinite love starting now. And that is a beautiful thing. God is holding out his hand to us saying, I want you to come back into the dance. Join me. And so if you haven't taken that opportunity, there's still time. You still have a chance. God is still extending his hand, inviting you back into the dance. And he has made the way possible for you. Your debt has been paid. The separation is no longer there. We can go directly to God. We can go back into the dance that we were created for. And we can experience God's perfect love, his perfect peace, his perfect joy. 
all because of what Jesus did for us. He paid it all for us because of God's love for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the love that you have poured out on us, for stepping out of for Jesus, for stepping out of the dance and into our world to make it possible for us to be right with you again, to make it possible for us to re-enter the dance, to pay the debt that we owed. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for God, for, the, for those of us who are still, are still on the outside and, and still waiting to accept that invitation, God, I pray that you would remove any fear or barriers that are, are preventing people from uh, from coming to you and accepting your invitation into that dance. Because God, we know that your perfect love casts out fear. And God, I just, I, in this moment, I pray that people that are are still waiting to, to accept the invitation or still waiting to hear the invitation, God, I pray that you would make the way possible, that you through us would extend that invitation to others and to say, God, is waiting for you because he loves you. Would you like to come and join the dance? So God, we thank you for making that invitation possible. We take ourselves out of, out of the center of our own lives and, and we, we join the dance, putting you at the center of it and orbiting around you, pouring love and adoration onto you because you are the one who is worthy of all of it. So we give it all to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.